Grace, mercy, and peace be with each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and open up our Romans journals uh, to Romans chapter 7. Uh, we are almost right in the middle of Romans. We're, we're thus far. We've got to keep going, right? We've, we're this invested. Uh, we're almost halfway through Paul's letter to the Romans. And today, uh, we're going to talk about three things that the law can do, because the law can do a lot of things. Three things that the law can do, but two things that the law cannot do, which is really important because if we misunderstand what the law can do and what the law can't do, we're going to have all kinds of issues in our Christian life. Uh, we're going to lack assurance that we're actually Christians when we look at our lives and see often the mess that it is. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of too much confidence in what we can actually do and what we can't do. So today we're talking about three things the law can do and two things that it can't. Now, before we read the text, it's really important that we kind of know what Paul's doing. In fact, to help us, uh, we're not just going to read chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. We're actually going to go back to chapter 6, verse 19 right in the middle of 19. And we're going to read all the way up to 7.13. Now, what Paul's actually doing in this whole section is he's talking about something uh, that might be or might not be a familiar term for you. Uh, Anybody ever heard the word sanctification? Heard that word before? Sanctification is often spoken of alongside justification. Now, we learned what justification is in Romans chapter 1 through 5. Justification means that God, in spite of your sin, looks upon you and pronounces you not guilty, free, in the clear. Not because of anything you did, but because of Christ, right? Because of his death for you and his resurrection, he declares you not guilty. That's justification. Now, sanctification is kind of a fancy word that that means now what? How do you live the Christian life? What does it look like to live as a loved child of God? That's what sanctification is. Uh, And when we talk about sanctification, we're really talking about bearing fruit. Uh, That's often what the scriptures talk about in the New Testament, bearing fruit. So the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All those things are the things that arise from our justification as we live out what it means to be an innocent, not guilty child of God. So remember, justification is how I get right with God through Christ. Sanctification is how I live like God's child. Justification is an event. It's something that happened to you. It's done. Sanctification is a process, a very messy process often, It's not something that happens to you, but rather something that happens in you. It's a process that takes place throughout your life in which you begin to bear fruit and become more like Jesus. Now, I'm going to read here in our text chapter 6, verse 19 through 713, and I want you to pay attention to three things. You can circle, you can underline, whatever helps you. The word sanctification, because I want you to see that's a Bible word, not just a word I made up. I want you to see the language of bearing fruit, or fruit, because that's what sanctification is. And then I want you to 
pay attention to the word law, because that's what we're talking about today, right? Three things the law can do and two things it can't. Ready? Chapter 6, verse 19, we're starting in the middle of the verse with the word for. Paul says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let's pretend like there's no chapter 7 or verses. Let's remember that. In the original Greek text, there were no chapters or verses. So let's just continue that thought, right? Verse 1, Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That's God's word for us today. Amen. Now, Paul is talking to us about sanctification. He's talking to us about what does it mean to live the Christian life. And he's, he's had a couple strategies to get us there. For one, back in the beginning of chapter 6, he talked about, you know, the million-dollar question in sanctification is, so you're saying that it's all by grace and we can do whatever we want. And Paul says, no, 
Did you forget that you're baptized? You died with Christ. You rose with him to new life. That's kind of the first way that Paul is talking about the new sanctified Christian life. Uh, the second way that he talks about it is the language of slavery and freedom. Pastor Tim talked about that last week. You know, if you submit yourself to sin, you're a slave and it drives you. But if you're a slave to Christ, you're actually free. And now Paul is going to talk about sanctification in a very third surprising way. Now, you would think that if we're going to talk about living the Christian life, that all of a sudden Paul's going to double down on the rules. Do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't you even dare do that. But actually Paul does something surprising and even shocking and maybe a little offensive to his original hearers. He actually says that when it comes to living the new Christian life, you died to the law. Does that make any sense? You died to the law. In, in fact, he's saying that if you want to live the new Christian life, if you want to walk in the footsteps of God's commandments, you actually have to die to the law. What's Paul talking about? Well, we need to understand here what the law can do and what the law can't do. Because if we don't understand these things, we're going to get all mixed up in our Christian life. You know, if, if we think that the law can do for, for us something that it can't do, we're going to have all kinds of issues in our Christian life. One of those issues is that we will begin to blend sanctification and justification. So we will think that getting right with God means our performance, how well we're doing as Christians. So let's talk about what the law can't do, the law, what the law can do. The law can do three things. All right, ready for number one? The law can curb sin, meaning it can stop you from doing things that will ruin your life or ruin the lives of others, even when you want to do those things. So, you know, let's say that you've got a, a really nice, like, muscle car, like, you know, from the 60s, like something that's got way too much engine, and you just... It, maybe some of you are going back to high school now. You just fantasize about like driving that thing like 80 miles an hour, zero to 60, right? And you might really want to do that with that car, except that there exists things like stop signs and um, like speed limits. And now, why do those things exist? Well, if we think back far enough, those things actually exist because of the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. You see, the law is rooted into even many of the laws that we have in society. That the, the design of those laws is to, is to curb sin so that we don't hurt ourselves or hurt others. Now, if there, were, if there was no police officer on, say, you know, 2nd Avenue, what might you want to do? Zero to 60, just go. But there's stop signs, there's law enforcement to protect you, to curb you from doing things that would hurt yourself or hurt others even when you want to do those things. A good example of this would be uh, our dog, Tina, um, had a little bit of an infection in her paw. And so she just keeps licking that thing, licking it, licking it. It's going to get worse. And so we took her to the vet, and you know what the vet gave her? The cone of shame. Uh, I think that's called an Elizabethan collar, but uh, it's technically called the cone of shame. And, and so you can just see it on her face. She's sitting there with the cone on because she really wants to lick that paw. And if we took that cone off, the first thing she does is lick, 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 and it makes it worse. Uh, that's really what the law does when it's a curb. It's gonna, it's gonna prevent us from doing things that will hurt ourselves or hurt others, 
even when we would do those things if we could get away with it. In fact, you can't have a society without the law acting as a curb. The second thing that the law can do, in fact does do, is that it shows us our sin. It acts as a mirror. And this is exactly what the law was doing in chapters 1 and 2 and part of 3. Remember that? You know, Paul was like just laying it on hard. The Gentiles are all under sin. There's no hope. And even the Jews who have the law are all under sin. There's no hope. There's no way out. Uh, the, 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 the law condemns and accuses and curses everything that's not in Christ. And so there's no way out except Jesus. You see, the, the law's purpose is that it would show you that you can't. And this is important because sometimes even in the church, we look at the law in terms of can. Like, I got this, I can do it. No, the purpose of the law is for you to collide with it and realize, I can't. In fact, the law shows you that you have sin in your life that you weren't even aware of. Like, you might have thought, oh, I've got, I got a handle on this sin thing. I got it in check. I can handle this. Well, if you really look into the law and you realize that the law is not just demanding that you keep the law externally, but the law is actually asking that you would keep it from the heart and that you would not only keep it but want to keep it without any regret or coercion. That's what the law is asking. All the heart. Now we realize, oh man, I'm a mess. <laughs> I need help. And, and actually, Paul, did you notice how Paul talked about this? Look at Chapter 7, verse 5. Paul says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. You see, the law actually makes things worse. You know, like if you, if you tell your kids, there's cookies in the jar, don't touch. What are they going to do? I want that, right? When mom and dad aren't looking, they're going to go for those cookies. We've all been there. <clears throat> Same thing with the law. You know, the law is good, but when the law encounters sinners, like, it just actually makes things worse uh, because we end up just obsessing and thinking about it. I want to cross that boundary because I think that beyond the boundary of God's law, there's something good that God's holding out on. He's trying to keep me from something good, and I want that. Paul also uh, does this with the law in chapter 7, verse 7. Did you notice what he's saying here in chapter 7, verse 7 and following? He says, um, For if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. Paul's saying here, like, I used to think that I could keep the commandment. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Do you see that? So, and go down to verse 13, where he says this. He says, at the end of it, he says, by no means... It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. 
See, you think you can handle sin. You think you got this, right? You think you can handle God's law. And when you open God's law, it's like a Pandora's box. It's like, nope. <laughs> uh, it, it shows that everything that we do, even our best actions, are tainted by sin and under the wrath of God unless Christ intervenes. Now, it reminds me of, uh, there used to be, I remember seeing on the program Dateline. Is Dateline still on? It's a scary program. They always show you all these like behind the scenes kind of things. I remember one time they had like, a, they did one on hotel rooms, like how clean are hotel rooms? And they had like this infrared, like black light kind of thing that revealed all kinds of like bodily fluids. And it's like everywhere in the hotel rooms. And you're like, I'm never going to stay in a hotel room again. <laughs> Friends, that's what the law does. The law shows you sin in your heart that you never even knew was there to the point where you're like, I can't. I've broken it. And this is really important because some of you may have entered this sermon series thinking that in terms of sin, you maybe have the common cold. Like you sneeze here and there, you got a cough. But if you've been paying attention, you'll realize that the law is actually showing you that you have terminal cancer and there's no hope except for Jesus. It's only the touch of Christ that can release us from that terminal pronouncement, which causes us to glory in Christ and love him and cherish him above all things. It's interesting to me that, you know, in talking with, with some of you about this sermon series, some of you have said, I don't know if I've ever really heard the gospel before, because I always thought I could maybe do it. And it's been maybe an eye-opening thing for you to realize, actually, you can't. And that being a Christian begins with you admitting, I can't, but Jesus has. Now, the third thing that the law can do, we actually can't talk about right now. We can't talk about until I tell you what the law can't do, or can do, or can't do. Sorry, can't, can't. There's a third thing that the law can do but we can't talk about it until we talk about what the law can't do and that Jesus does. So what can the law not do? The law cannot justify you. You know that, right? That was Romans 1 through 5. The law cannot declare you innocent because it accuses and declares you guilty at every turn. So, for example... Um, is an anchor, like an anchor on a boat, is an anchor good? Yes, if you use it correctly. It does a wonderful job of keeping your boat in place. But does an anchor make a pretty good flotation device? No. <laughs> if you hold on to an anchor and try to float, you're going to sink. Same thing with the law. The law really has a good function in showing us our sin, but if you try to hold on to the law for dear life, it's going to sink you every time. It cannot justify you. You see, Christ is not an anchor. Christ is a flotation device. He's the life vest. He keeps you afloat from sinking under God's wrath and condemnation. The law cannot justify you. Only Christ justifies us by grace through faith. Now, surprisingly, this one might be a little more surprising. The second thing the law cannot do is sanctify you, meaning make you into a more faithful Christian. 
Now, up to this point, you might have thought, justification is by grace through faith. Sanctification is all about how hard I try. No, it's not true. You see, the law cannot make you live a more faithful Christian life. It's only the gospel that can do that. It's only the saving grace of God, the pure love of Jesus Christ given to us by grace alone that can actually motivate us to keep the law and to live the new Christian life. It's like this. The the law can tell you to fly, but it won't give you wings. The law can tell you to run, but it won't give you the legs. The law can tell you to drive, but it won't put any gasoline in your tank. It's only the gospel, that, that deep love that God has for you in Christ that can motivate and push forward your living in God's commandments, living the sanctified life. And this is important because sometimes as Christians, we think that's what it, what's going to get us sanctified, what's going to make us more like Jesus is guilt and fear. Does that work in relationships well? Does guilt and fear work in your closest relationships? Probably not. It bears fruit for death, actually. It's only in the security and the unconditional love that we have in Jesus Christ where there's no condemnation that we are actually motivated to keep God's commandments. The other thing that we might do to get sanctified is is we might get away from the guilt and the fear thing and we might just kind of lower the bar and say, God's commandment is asking for this, but what it's really asking for is this. It's easy. We can all, it's kind of everybody gets a trophy. It's super easy. No. In sanctification, we have to realize what God is really asking for, that we would love him with the whole heart and love the neighbor as ourselves. But the only thing that can motivate us to even begin to live in that way is Jesus who loved you when you broke all of his commandments. It's that love, that relational love that we have in Christ that teaches us to be better. As you live the sanctified life, as you strive to be a better Christian, how many of you are tired? I'll I'll be the first to raise my hand. Anybody tired? Does sanctification wear you out a little bit? Does it make you tired? Am I the only one? Come on, we can be honest. It's, It's tiresome work sometimes. Because really, your sanctification takes place in your vocations, the place you've been called. You've been called to be a father or a mother or a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter. You've been called into your work. You've been called into your neighborhood, into being a citizen. You've been called to be a student. And, and, and all of those things bear down heavy on us. There's a lot of weight and a lot of responsibility. How many of you just feel exhausted sometimes trying to be a better parent? Any tired moms, tired dads? Yeah. How many of you are feeling tired as kids because of what mom and dad are asking you to do? Study hard, get good grades. Right, keep the rules, clean your room. How many of you are feeling really tired trying to be a better husband or a better wife? How many of you are really tired in your work trying to serve others? How many of you are tired 
and just exhausted and worn out. And, and you know what? Actually, the law of God has a way of wearing us out because we can't do it. We can't keep it perfectly. But here's the beauty and the blessing of Jesus Christ himself it, because it's, it, it's in the relationship that we have with Jesus that motivates us and leads us to keep the law because you know what Jesus says to people who are tired in their sanctification? He doesn't say, try harder, do better, be better. No. This is the word that Jesus speaks to you. He says, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. Or what does Jesus say in John chapter 15? He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who abides in me will what? Bear much fruit. Jesus doesn't say that the one who abides in the commandments and tries harder. He says the one who remains in me and abides in me. And, you know, I think I, I just planted my garden this past week and I got the seeds in the ground and now I'm impatient want those things to grow. And I'm always worrying that they're not growing. And so, you know, what if I went out there to my raised garden beds and I yelled at the green beans and I said, grow, grow, what's wrong with you? Are they going to grow? No. But if they're planted in good soil with sunshine and water, are they going to grow? Yeah. Friends, when you are planted in the love of Jesus Christ for you, that is the soil and the sunshine and the water that nourishes you in your growth as a Christian. And with that said, we can talk about the third thing the law can do. Because, like, we can't talk about it until now because we're going to misuse the law unless we understand it's the love of Jesus that motivates our growth. The third thing the law can do is the law can serve as a useful guide in showing you what it looks like to live the Christian life. It can show you what it looks like to love your neighbor and love God. But we can only experience that law through Christ because we misuse the law if we're not experiencing it through the love and the grace of Christ. Because there's two things that the law will do to you apart from Christ as you seek to live the sanctified life. The law will either inflate you, make you prideful, which is a sin that the law condemns, or the law will make you despair and you say, I can't do it. But when we walk with the gentle, easy yoke of Jesus upon our necks, we have freedom. We begin to keep the law because we realize God gave me this law because he loves me. And he's actually not holding out on me. In fact, he gave his son for me. And because he gave his son for me, I can appreciate this law. I can see the goodness of it. I can begin to walk in it. And I know that even when I fail to attain it, that I am completely forgiven. Friends in Christ, let that motivate your growth, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are free in Christ, and may that motivate you to guard and keep God's commandments to his glory. Amen.